on the first night of Pesach, at my family Seder, we used the yellow and red Haggadah, which is very popular among people. Um, as Lauren taught us last Saturday night, that uh, it's a, a, a it says newly revised or written by, but it actually it's the classic Haggadah text. Last night, the Haggadah, we used at our Seder, where we had members of uh, the Bethsedek community. We used the A Different Night Haggadah, which Aaron and I once invested in about 25 of them. So that's what we're probably going to use for the next 20 years. It has a lot of commentary. And this afternoon, after I woke up from a very long nap, because my Seder ended close to 1 o'clock in the morning, um, I started reading this Haggadah. That called the Jewish Journey Haggadah. I do not remember when I got it. It doesn't have my name in it, which makes me think maybe it came as a gift from someone who came to a Seder. It is put together by Rabbanit Dr. Adina Berkowitz and also Shira Hecht Kohler. I know that Shira is the director of education for 929. At the time of this Haggadah, Rabbanit Dr. Adina Berkowitz was the scholar in residence and co-founder of Kol Hanishama NYC, an organization dedicated to re-energizing spiritual lives of both non-yet-affiliated and affiliated Jews. I don't know if she's still there, but maybe she is. So I was just reading through this, and I found some insights that I'd never really thought about before, so I thought I, I would share a little bit. This is where it is from. All right. We'll start with an easy one. Talk about wine. Many people have had enough wine or grape juice in the last um, two nights. Why four cups of wine? Those of you at home, you can't answer. Those of you in the room, even if you have advanced degrees in Judaism, you too can participate. If you don't, you also can participate. Why four cups of wine at the Seder? What's the classic answer? Four promises of redemption. What does that mean? So in the Jerusalem Talmud, that's right, that was Aaron Bodzin, yay Hillel School in Rochester. In the Jerusalem Talmud. Yeah. Yay, Hillel School in Rochester. In the Jerusalem Talmud, Rabbi Yochanan says in the name of Rabbi Benaiah that the four cups of wine of the Seder correspond to the four phrases of redemption, which are found in Shemot, chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And as Aaron said in Hebrew, these are what they are. Say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I shall take you out from the pressure of work in Egypt. I shall save you from their service. I shall redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgments, and I shall take you as a people for me. So that those are corresponding to the four. That's the classic reason. For those of you in the room, have you heard that one before? Yeah, that one you probably heard. But the authors of this Haggadah bring in three more that I hadn't heard more. She brings in, or they bring in, the Abarvanel, who explain that the four cups are connected to four different types of redemptions. 
The first was when Abraham, when Abraham was chosen as the founder of the Jewish people. The second represents the liberation from slavery in Mitzrayim, from Egypt. The third represents our survival and our perseverance. And as someone who has spent the last couple of weeks reading through Daryl Horn's book, People Love Dead Jews, I've seen that theme over and over again. Um, and the fourth is the messianic redemption yet to come, and I don't know what that will look like. Another reason is the four cups as a reward for what the rabbis viewed as the four heroic acts of the Jewish people traditionally performed in Egypt. When the Jews were slaves, what were their heroic acts? Can't hear you. Number one, they never changed their names or the distinctive Jewish dress, whatever that was at the time, although it was probably really hot also because it was Egypt. They never forgot the Hebrew language. You know, for those of us that are learning Hebrew or if, our sending, if we sent our children to school to learn Hebrew, those same Israelites who were in Egypt never forgot the Hebrew language, which if you think about it, is pretty amazing. Number three, they retained their moral values, which was before even getting the Ten Commandments, and they never betrayed one another to their slave masters, which Think about it. When you, when they were slaves in Egypt, they were shattered. They were broken. They were physically abused. They were mentally abused. They weren't able to live their own lives. It was really easy to say, this guy did it. If this guy did it, and they never did that. They never said things like that. The fourth reason, and this will move us in a different direction, that uh, these rabbi, these uh, not rabbis, these authors bring up, is the four kosot, the four cups. They represent the memory of the four matriarchs: Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Because it says in one of our texts as well, it was for the sake of the righteous women that the children of Israel were redeemed from Egypt. And the four cups are a salute to the founding mothers of Judaism. Yes, this is a modern Orthodox feminist text, this whole Haggadah, but I find it fascinating when women's voices are so often silenced. These kosot, these cups that are on the table, the entire Seder, for this reason number four, and it's by the Maharal, uh, Marin Prague, it's for the mothers who sustained Judaism. So let's think of how. What did Sarah do? Beautiful. Two points for the rabbi over there. Sarah influenced many people in, this, in the surrounding area to join and be part of the Jewish people. What did Rebecca do? Try another one. <laughs> what did she break or what did she hide? What did she leave behind her? Right, she left off the physical idols behind her when she went on her journey. Rachel, this one's a little bit weak, uh, she was the mother of Joseph, who kept his faith in God even during all the years of his imprisonment. And we know that Joseph and Rachel had a deep, 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 deep bond. 
she probably was the one who taught him, when things get bad, keep your faith in God. And Leah, Leah is the most famous around the holidays of Thanksgiving for doing what? She was the very first woman to praise God. That is the na- that's how she named Yehuda. Um, and gratitude, praising God, is really so much of what our tefillah is about. So there you go. Add that next year for your reasons. Here's another fascinating piece that I found. All right. What do people put in their glasses? Wine. Okay. How many of you, and I know there's at least one person in this room, how many of you drank grape juice at Pesach? You drank grape juice? Two of you. Okay. I, 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 pers- I personally went through a bottle of Artanura, but a lot of people drink grape juice. Is that okay? Yes? Has that always been okay? It should have is not the answer I'm looking for, and I agree with that. So I'm glad we... It's actually not a trick question. Um, so this is the part that... That was the preamble of why the four cups. It was, this was the part that I really wanted to share. There was a question that's asked, because we ask questions at Pesach. Can we substitute grape juice for all or part of the four cups drunk at the Seder is the question. Now, before we even ask the question, I want us to rewind in time when there wasn't an abundance and an assortment of kosher wine. What was kosher wine for many, 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 many years in this country? That was it, right? We couldn't go into the LCBO. Okay, not everyone, but Billy Bishop or Lawrence Plaza or out by the promenade where they have just so much kosher wine. The explosion of kosher wine, it's important to note, is new. It wasn't always an option. So let's keep that in mind. During Prohibition in the 1920s and early 30s, the question of can you substitute grape juice for all or part of the four cups became particularly relevant as well as controversial. It was Professor Louis Ginsburg at JTS. He was disturbed by the abuse of bootleggers and bogus rabbis who relied on the sacramental wine exemption that was given to Jews and religious institutions for the right to use wine for ritual purposes. So when prohibition was taking place, there was a exemption given to Jews so they could drink the Manischewitz or Mogan David or whatever they were doing because it was for Havdalah that we'll do shortly. So in January 1922, that is when Louis Ginsburg wrote a tshuva validating the use of grape juice. Add that to your trivia the next time you sit down for a holiday meal that requires sacrament. Now, what happened to Louis Ginsburg when he did that? He received threatening letters from those angry that this could impact. 1922, what could this impact? Bootlegging, beautiful, that it could impact the illegal alcohol smuggling. 
And his wife feared for his life, and she didn't permit him to go outside by himself at night alone because that's how much the fear was. Um, again, it was in the 20s. Life is a little bit different back then. And then the authors bring in something even more fascinating. A contemporary question on the use of grape juice in Catholic ritual was once asked by a priest, and it was resolved by a rabbi. Dr. Abraham, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Chorsky, he passed away from COVID at the beginning before vaccines. He was a renowned psychiatrist. He worked with addiction and he was a Hasidic rabbi and he directed a substance abuse clinic in Pittsburgh. Um, he actually has a fantastic Haggadah as well. After successfully treating a priest who suffered from alcoholism, Rabbi Tversky was approached by the priest with the following question. How was he to lead mass if he could no longer drink wine? The priest had a substance abuse issue. He was um, treated for it, and as part of his treatment, he wouldn't drink alcohol anymore. So Dr. Tversky told him to substitute grape juice. The priest said he couldn't do that because it's a canon law. You know, it's Torah Misina, you have to have wine. So he asked Rabbi Tversky to talk to the head of the diocese, which he did. And when the head of the diocese asked him on what his response was based, Rabbi Tversky replied that it was a great rabbinic um, decider, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, who wrote the decision allowing unfermented wine for Shabbat use. This information from Rabbi Tversky and Rabbi Feinstein was sent to the Vatican. <laughs> and a short time later, the priest was informed that based on Rabbi Feinstein's reasoning and Rabbi Tversky's interpretation and intervention, an acceptable form of grape juice would be considered a legitimate substitute for wine. So Rabbi Wernick said before, Rabbi Steve said before, which should have always been accepted because the bracha is bore priya gefen, but it actually took until about 1922 to have it saying, well, of course you can do it this way. So that's a little piece of trivia for you. Um, and then just one more piece I wanted to look at was uh, a section that some people might skip over. It's near the beginning. It's near Magid. It's the story of the rabbis who are up all night long. Rabbi... Eliezer, Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarfon. These are not second-level rabbis. These are, you know, heads of, of, of the community. They would They would recline and just tell the story and interpretations forever and ever and ever until someone would say, hey, rabbis, come on, it's already time for morning Shema. It's already 4.45, 5 o'clock in the morning. What does this teaching come to tell us? They were uh, all the morning. Right, and that's what our guests were learned from it last night, definitely for sure, which is that if they could stay up all night talking Torah, we should do it too. What else could we learn from this? Pardon? They were in a cave, well, but they were in B'nai Brak. They were in B'nai Brak. 
one of the things that we can learn from it is that even though they were super knowledgeable rabbis, they could still learn something new. So no matter how wise we may be, when we sit down to the Seder, we can always learn something new. There's always new insight that can inspire us about the Exodus. Something new to think about. And there's also, maybe not as riveting, a theory that these scholars were not staying up all night talking about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, but they were planning a revolt. They were planning the Bar Kokhba revolt. They were planning the revolt against the Roman oppressors. Rabbi Akiva was a student, a disciple of, of Bar Kokhba, and it's very possible that they were staying up all night long because it was known that Jews would be together that night for the Seder in order to um, prepare for the revolt of what it could be in. So these were just some of the insights that I came across this afternoon. I hope you found them as interesting as I did. And um, if you're at a table and people ask for grape juice, just know that literally it's 100 years old, 1922, since it became permissible <laughs> to drink grape juice as opposed to just something that people do. Kadish de Rabbanan is on